I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon, and guys, part two. Last week was a do not miss. It was a discussion around sleep with neurologist and sleep researcher, Dr. Chris Winter. Chris leads the Charlottesville Neurology and Sleep Medicine Clinic and is well known for his extensive work at many professional sports teams across major league, NHL and basketball. And what he did is he came on this show and he spilled the beans. He framed all you need to know about optimizing sleep. And it was fantastic. But following the show, I and many Purple Patch athletes had a lot of questions. In fact, I received more than 150 questions. <gasps> I filtered through, I joined the dots, I went through the trends, and I said to Chris, step up. And so today, it is all the answers to those questions. Now, there's not 150. Chris wasn't that open to 150 questions, but we do go through some really important questions around sleep, all delivered from myself and the Purple Patch Athlete. And it's another cracking episode. It is everything you want to know. You will enjoy it. But before we get into it, I do want to do a squatty update. Yes, guys, and one that's a little different for the squatty update today, but it's a goodie. You see, as we come up for air a little bit, you might remember the shows over the last few months that really focused on this phase of preparation, off-season, or what we like to call it a purple patch, post-season. And the focus was really about laying a platform of resilience, both tissue and cardiovascular, and starting to build positive habits so that you can build a platform of health. And then on from there, you could actually go about seeking performance, whether it was in life, whether it was in sports events. And guess what? Right now, after setting the stage over a few episodes, right now, we are in it. And we at Purple Patch have started. We are right in our postseason. And it's fun and it's good. And it's all anchored in a much lower physical load. But it's an absolutely critical phase of training. You see, our athletes are not waiting till the new year nonsense. New year, new you. Oh, this is going to turn over a new leaf. You begin now because there's no time like the present. And instead of just sitting and waiting and declining and devolving, we are collectively building a platform together and ramping performance from the ground up. We call these the unmissable months. And over the coming weeks, we've got some superbly interesting discussions that are absolutely aligned to this. We did sleep last week. We did Dr. Chris Winter again this week. And then coming up next week, we got Dr. Gil Blander, a world leader in aging research. And in these discussions, what I want you to do is listen to the theme. And that theme is that performance is built from consistency, routine, structure, and finding your recipe that comprises of, yes, endurance and strength training, but also recovery and nutrition. And this is the route to your athletic evolution. But also, 
life performance optimization. And these experts make it their focus. And so, so should you. And it is now. And guess what? We want to help. Look, it is time for you to join Purple Patch Coaching or the Squad Programming. But outside of that, we want you to be successful in your journey, regardless whether you're under our guidance or not. And so I invite you to head to the website and check out the completely revamped squad program for 2022. And of course, our one-to-one coaching. All of those programs are driven by live and video on demand video coaching. But on top of that, if you're not wanting to work with us for whatever reason, or maybe work with another coach already, that's super. But I do also invite you to email us. If that's the case, info at purplepatchfitness.com, because we are happy to answer your questions or perhaps set up a consultation so that you can pave your performance path. We want to help genuinely. And this is a maze of confusion and misinformation. And it is important that you drive through so that you can thrive in life, in health, in sport. So don't wait. Let us assist. And that is the Squatty Update. Now, I want to do a quick one here, and I've got my duty to do. It's got to be promotional, and I know it's a partnership with Inside Tracker, but at least it's spoken from the heart. I want to do a little piece on Inside Tracker again. Information is empowerment. Remember that information is empowerment. As long as it's good information and it's appropriate for you. Now, you know that we are partnered with Inside Tracker, and the reason is that we gain personal insights that we can draw from Inside Tracker that facilitate assisting an athlete or a performance enthusiast narrowing their focus to really dial in the points of attention that are going to yield performance gains. You see, the recommendations that are derived from the information gathered in Inside Tracker allow us to define your focus in your training, in your sleep, in your stress reduction, in your nutrition, and yeah, maybe some supplementation. And all of these are actionable, and they create a gateway to achieve your goals. And right around now, the off-season, it's a great time so that you can get your baseline and you can align it with your 2022 planning. It's really good. And so, if you want to get engaged, you don't need to be a Purple Patch athlete, but you can benefit. InsideTracker.com slash Purple Patch Podcast. And of course, use the code Purple Patch Pro 25. That's Purple Patch Pro 25. And that means that you can get for a limited time 25% off the entire store. Now, of course, if you're a Purple Patch athlete listening, as I mentioned last week, have a look and check out the partnership schedule of office hours and education that we are doing with the scientists and nutritionists from Inside Tracker. That is where our partnership comes to life. Okay. Back to the show. Now, we've got no word of the week this week, and instead we are going to go boom and hit our meat and potatoes square in. It's a goodie and it's a fun one. All of the questions that you, the Purple Patch athletes, had following our initial discussion with Dr. Winter last week. And of course, all of these questions are focused on optimizing sleep. And so, without further ado, it is, ladies and gentlemen, I love saying this part, I really love this part. It is the meat and potatoes. Yes, folks, it is the meat and potatoes part two with Dr. Chris Winter. 
Chris, welcome back. Thank you so much, Matt. It's good to be back. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And this is part two to the, the real meat and potatoes that we did last week. So for listeners that have not listened to last week's show, it is imperative. We'll obviously leave it in the show notes. But that was the main topic du jour, everything around sleep, nailing the basics, some of the common mistakes, as well as talking about your new book, The Rested Child. But today, this is shotgun. This is not from me. What I did before this episode is I went to the Purple Patch Athletes and I said, I've got one of the preeminent experts in the world all around sleep coming to the show and you can ask any questions that you would like. And we got entirely too many questions, but I'm going to do my best. And what we'll do, a lot of fun, you haven't heard any of these questions yet. I'm just going to shotgun you. And they might be a little scattered, they go over order, but All hopefully right. we can get a lot of education out of this and maybe have a little bit of fun. Sounds good. Lightning round. Sleep lightning well, round. Sleep lightning round. Here we go. So here is uh, the, the first question. It's maybe not surprising, and I think I have to start with, for me, the elephant in the room around wearables and sleep tracking. So first question, and I'm, I'll designate this to Mark McWilliams, but uh, very interesting on the effectiveness and your overall perspective on sleep trackers such as Aura, Whoop, Garmin sleep tracking, et cetera. And so what, what, what's your overall perspective on those as tools for both athletes and performance enthusiasts globally? I'm, I'm positive on them. I'm bullish. I, I like them. Um, I think they have to be used in the right way. I think this is the group that it's best for um, because I think these things can be sort of truth sayers. Um, are you really somebody who's getting eight hours of sleep a night because you tell everybody at dinner parties that you are, um, but maybe your sleep tracker tells a different story. So maybe that exceptional night is actually the norm for you. Uh, and that's where I find myself a lot of times where I look at the data a lot and it informs me that I'm not doing a good job of at 11 o'clock getting off the couch, putting my email away, letting the dog out and getting ready for bed. I push it. Oh gosh, you know, the pixies are going to be on Stephen Colbert and I could easily record them on a DVR, but I've got to see that. And just a few more emails. And, and before you know it, it's, you know, 1237. And I'm still going to get, you know, six and a half, seven hours of sleep at night, but it's not the eight that I was looking for. So I think they're helpful for that. I think they're also helpful for helping people understand on average, how much sleep do you need? You know, if you're kind of left to your own devices and, and sleep, what, what does that number look like? Are you in fact an eight person? Do you feel better with nine? The other thing I think that's really helpful for because of a lot of executives, a lot of people that you're going to work with are type A individuals, they're detail oriented, uh, they're uh, anxious about things, which makes the world go around and makes them successful people. But I think I think sometimes when you're anxious about your sleep, it can make you misperceive it sometimes. So these things can often be very anxiety alleviating when you feel like, oh, that was a terrible night last night. I got in bed. It took me three or four hours to fall asleep. And your tracker is telling you a different story. Well, my tracker says I fell asleep in like 30 or 40 minutes. And, you know, and maybe your partner says, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Well, that's not what I felt. I felt like I was awake and thinking about this presentation all night long. So to me, these things are really helpful. I think sometimes they get a bad rap because, well, they don't, you know, the, 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 
when compared to a sleep study, they're not pulling out REM sleep, you know, as well as a, a sleep study does. Well, of course not. But a sleep study is one night. A tracker can be months and months of data. So I think as long as the device isn't making you anxious and it's not creating another performance anxiety in your life, I think they can be really informative and they're fun to say, well, look, if you know, some sleep experts tell me I need to get sleep, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to really commit to getting eight hours of sleep for the next two to three weeks. And then I'm going to talk to Matt about how I'm doing in my whatever he's coaching me for. And then I'm going to go back to the way I was doing it. And it's it's fun because those trackers can sometimes be interesting little experiments you can do. Do I sleep better at home or do I sleep better at my girlfriend's house? Do I really, am I really impaired that much when I have six or seven beers at night? Because my training feels pretty good the next day. Well, that tracker can really be an interesting little data point of how does your sleep look on the nights when you drink heavily compared to the nights when you don't. So I'm a big fan of them. I think we're just, I think we're a decade away from these things being better than what we do in sleep studies. So uh, two, two follow-on questions. One I want to hone in on because it's uh, a, a question from Arnie here who I want to point out is not the Arnie. But um, Arnie actually uh, asked about Tracker. So he's he's utilizing Whoop, and I'll just I'll name the brand. But he is finding exactly what you identified, that it's creating a little bit of paralysis of analysis or anxiety. So I feel like I sleep worse because I'm trying to keep up or keep a judge of the score. Have you got any advice or insight for folks that maybe fall on that anxiety, that paralysis schedule that I know that a lot of triathletes tend to fall into? Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. And, and Kelly Barron is a wonderful sleep researcher who sort of coined the term orth orthosomnia, this kind of idea that the thinking about the sleep and the tracking of the sleep becomes yet another obstacle within that. So I think that, you know, the fact that Arnie recognizes that is really important. Um, I think that sleep kind of like, I don't know, breathing, swallowing, you know, there's not that much we can do about it. Like we want to make sure that we don't have our, something blocking our airway or, you know, something of that nature. But outside of that, you know, we're, it's pretty automatic. So I think that, you know, one of the things that Arnie probably needs to do is maybe go through periods where he's looking at his sleep. Is he getting enough sleep? Is he setting a good schedule for his sleep? Is the environment where he's sleeping good? You know, how does that data kind of look? And then maybe kind of moving away from it. You know, I use an aura ring. I've got like, several different sleep trackers I wear at night. My bed tracks my sleep. I have a headband made by a company called Muse. And so I'm always interested in how do the, 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 how does the data line up? But that's just a little project I'm working on right now for an article for Psychology Today. But sometimes I drift away from it like I, and I don't do it. I put my R ring on the charger and forget about it for a while. Um, so, you know, to me, this is something that's probably a good idea for you to come and go, like dissecting your sleep every night. I, I find that that data is a lot more effective when you're looking at it more in terms of a month. Like I, I use yeah. a device called a Withings thing that goes under my mattress and it'll tell me, how much sleep did you average during the month, during the week, and during the weekend? I find that to be a really helpful and valuable uh, piece of information versus what happened last Tuesday night. That's really interesting because that's very much how we talk about coaching. Of There is a tendency to dive into the weeds of hyper-analytical to the minute, to the session, where really performance comes over 
more of the longitudinal end and, and you're drawing information rather than just analytical data on every single moment. Uh, Absolutely. I, I, I'm going to cut and that, that, that will be my, my next question, but I do want to ask one that um, the final thing on wearables, at least this part of wearables, uh, Chris Hughes, one of the purple patch athletes who I would say great, great taste in shoes, Chris, not so much in music, but Chris was asking about accuracy. You mentioned, you know, s sleep trackers in the mattress, in the sheets, you've got aura on the ring, you've got the wrist with whoop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Are there Garmin on the wrist? Are, are there that trackables that are wearables, et cetera, sleep tracking tools that are more accurate, less accurate, more that you sort of have a preference for? Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 devices that are using several modalities tend to be better. I mean, the reason why we talk about a sleep study being a gold standard is because it's looking at brain activity, muscle activity, respiration patterns, heart rate, you know, 12 different metrics, each by themselves are relatively useless, but putting them all together creates a much, much better. It's sort of like gray animal. Well, that could be anything. Big gray animal, big gray animal that eats peanuts big gray animal with tusks that eats peanuts and has floppy ears. Like everybody knows we're talking about an elephant at this point, but none of those things by themselves would have given you that. Oh, I'm certain we're talking about an elephant. So to me, as you look at these devices, the ones that use body movement, heart rate variability, you know, pulse, some look at sweating, some look at body temperature, you know, there's even devices now like the new Muse S that you can put on. It's actually looking at brain activity, which we've always thought is the gold standard for state delineation. You know, as we're sort of moving forward, we're just getting more and more variables, pulse oximetry data and whatnot. So without really calling out any device, I think the ones that you are using multiple variables just seem to do better. But, you know, in my own, you know, looking at these devices, over a long period of time, I think they're quite accurate. If you're, again, if we're looking at that one night where, I mean, I've had nights where it says I slept three hours and I know I slept much more than that. I mean, it's not even a question. I went to bed at 11. For some reason, it wasn't picking something up um, or my bed. I noticed that when I'm gone, there's always data. I'm like, what's going on when I'm not in the house? And it's clearly, it's picking up on my dog you know, that's moving around. He's got a little heart rate or whatever. So it's really interesting to see these types of things. So I just think take it all with a grain of salt. These things are not medical grade instruments yet. But like I said, the diminishment of them sometimes in the media uh, you know, or, or from my colleagues, I think we have to be careful. They're actually pretty good. And when I look at the data I'm getting over these five trackers that I'm using night after night, they're pretty close to each other and very close to what I think happened during the night. So, you know, to me, that total amount of sleep and a relative sleep score is probably the best thing that they do. The 38 minutes of deep sleep, I think, is always going to be a little suspicious, but it's getting a lot better. It's a leap. I mean, leaps and bounds from the actigraphy devices that we used back in the 90s. Uh, it's, uh, you're starting to pull me over to the side, Chris. It's good. So, so let's switch switch gears. Actually, this is from Chris Hughes as well, and this, this is a great one for the athletes. 
from your perspective, because I, I obviously have uh, the coach's lens on this, but it, Chris's question is, when should you alter or cancel a workout because of a previous night's poor sleep? So in other words, when, when you're pushing through being too tired, is it okay periodically or should I always pull back? Yeah, I mean, I think that we have to define poor sleep. I think that if the, if we're saying my flight was delayed, you know, three or four hours and I didn't even get in until four o'clock in the morning, I've got a 6.30 workout. I think that's an easy decision to make, you know, unless there's something very specific that's happening in that workout you can't miss. Uh, I, I think you skip it. If it's, I got in bed last night and it took me several hours to fall asleep because I was worried about, you know, the presentation and the things I've got going on in the office, I think it might be a good idea to keep that workout. I think you can always come in and say to your coach, I had a rough night last night because I was really thinking about a lot of stuff. But one thing that we find that, that you can get into is that you had the opportunity to sleep. You just didn't utilize it. It took you two hours to fall asleep. And there's no fault in that. But I think that you always want to be giving your brain the message. I'm going to give you the amount of sleep that you need use it or don't use it, it's not really going to change what we do the next day. Because what can often happen is you have a bad Tuesday night for whatever reason, so you skip your workout. In fact, you skip your workout and you sleep in until around 11. Now you're getting up, you've completely screwed up when your body thought it was going to get exercise, thought it was going to get breakfast, thought it was going to see light, thought it was when it was going to get warm. And now all of a sudden your body thinks that 11 o'clock is the start of your day. And so what often was one isolated bad night now becomes the beginning of the process that leads you to see me. What's going on? I've not been sleeping well for the last six or eight months. Or really what happened? Well, I started one Tuesday at a bad night before a big presentation, and then I've just not slept well since that time. So there's always that sort of balance of are we facilitating things or are we doing things that are smart for our body? Um, and, and to me, I always tell people that you alter the morning when you had no control over anything. If somebody's saying, no, 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 I had control. I went to bed at nine o'clock like I normally do. And for whatever reason, my fantasy football team underperformed and it upset me and I didn't fall asleep until midnight. Well, you made that choice. I would say, let's go ahead and get up and, and, and have even kind of a bad workout. But keep that schedule because that's where your brain says on Wednesday night, we better get some sleep because we made a bad choice Tuesday night. Let's not repeat that. And so that's where insomnia often begins. It's a couple of bad choices that kind of snowball. And that's what we saw, like you were bringing up with COVID. No reason to get up and catch the train because you can start working whenever you want to. Ooh, that made some really, really bad sleep situations for a lot of people. Well, it's uh, an old jump on the answer a little bit and then as a coach i'll say you get up and then you might moderate the workout if it's really really high intensity levels that might not be the day you push that back and you make it more of a soul-filling day but you've taken the action i think that's uh, right that's exactly right and you've maintained that schedule it's like you know it's it's the naval i always say now that i've got a kid there it's like the naval academy you got to have a little bit of naval academy in your life like nobody hey sarge i'm pretty tired i'm going to meet you all at lunch if you don't mind yeah it's not going to fly 
So a lot of people have trouble falling asleep at the Naval Academy. It, 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 it makes my uh, my old swimming coach used to say to us if we went out on Friday nights, man at night, man in the morning. You better be there at 8 a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. Um, here's a very popular one. Uh, actually, I'm going to go to Scott Embry's, uh, which is a, a little quicker one first, which is how do I know when my bed is causing poor sleep? In other words, when is it time to change the mattress? That's a great question. I think when you're waking up a lot during the night, and especially if you're feeling like there's ache and pain involved in it, back stiffness, um, you know, discomfort, particularly in your lower back, shoulders, hips, and knees, places where pressure can kind of accumulate. The other place that you often see with athletes is heat dispersion, like people are getting hot on their on their mattress. Some of the old uh, memory foam mattresses did not do a good job of dissipating heat, so they just kind of slept hot. So I think before you invest in a mattress, it's probably a good idea to try some things out first. You know, if you spend, have you noticed that when you sleep in a hotel room or sleep at your friend's house or sleep in the guest bedroom? there's a positive change one way or the other. Um, I, I think mattresses make a huge difference in the way people sleep. I just think we don't want to jump right into the $3,500 mattress as the reason. So, you know, kind of looking out for those types of things can be really important. And I don't think you should ever purchase a mattress that you can't return. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a, that's a good tip. So Marie, Marie had a great question because this is very, very common amongst a lot of folks that, that I chat to head to sleep, fall asleep very easily, sleep deeply for three to four hours. So one cycle of sleep, basically, but then boom, I'm awake for the next 60 to 90 minutes every single night. It's a habitual wakeful time. A any tips on how to return to sleep, basically? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is we probably need to stop trying to sleep. I mean, we do have this culture that if you're in bed and you're conscious, it's just wasted time, which is not really true. I mean, there's a massive amount of recovery and restoration can happen if we're in bed, meditating, sitting quietly. I mean, I always tell people the secret to sleep is embracing wakefulness in bed. I love being awake in bed. It doesn't scare me. If you want to threaten me, you're not going to do it with a 90 minute period of wakefulness during the night. Um, and, and I think that when we kind of develop that sort of uh, relationship, like my least favorite piece of advice about sleep is if you're awake at night for more than 15 minutes, get up and go do something else. Sure, if you're really miserable being in bed, but I like being in bed awake. So to me, I'm just going to stay there, meditate. I'm going to think about my day. I'm going to think about my family. I'm going to think about whatever is on my mind. Like I just enjoy that kind of peaceful, quiet time. I mean, I think the other thing you could think about is, you know, if somebody says, look to me, every night I wake up for 90 minutes. Okay, great. Go to bed 90 minutes later and keep your wake up time where it's at. I mean, for a lot of people who are you know, trying to get that nine hours of sleep, because that's what LeBron James said, if you're somebody who only needs seven, you don't get to pick how much sleep you get. It's kind of like, I can't finish my dinner. A good doctor is going to ask, what is your dinner consist of versus here's an appetite stimulant. I don't want you to starve to death. That's what the bad doctor does. The good doctor says, what's your, what's your dinner? Well, it's two extra large pizzas. Okay, well, you're five foot four. And you're a school teacher. What makes you think, well, my favorite, you know, defensive lineman for the Tampa Bay Bucks, that's what he eats every. Well, yeah, but you're not that person. So you can't, it's not a failure of your appetite. It's a failure of your expectation. And there's a lot of people who are seeking to get eight, nine, 10 hours of sleep at night. 
and their bodies are screaming to them, stop doing this. We can't maintain sleep for 10 hours. And so you've got this 90 minute awakening period in the middle of your night, cut that out, go to bed, you know, 90 minutes later, you're still getting what, you know, eight and a half hours of sleep, even if you're doing that, you know, so you know, I think that people have this idea that if eight hours of sleep is great, nine is even better and 10 couldn't be, couldn't be topped. And that's fine if you're capable of doing it. But for a lot of people, they're not. And those awakenings during the night are your brain trying to create the efficiency that it can prevent, that it can, that it can happen. I can make anybody wake up for 90 minutes of sleep. Everybody go to bed 90 minutes earlier than they normally do, but keep your alarm set at the same time. Eventually you're going to get to a place where you say, I, I can't, sustain it you know nor can i fall asleep at four o'clock in the afternoon that's not because there's something wrong with my sleep it's because why would i think i could fall asleep at four o'clock in the afternoon i'm not sleepy at that point so again that fear-based model of you know what do we do when we only eat half of our sandwich we can't finish the rest don't eat it and, and maybe more importantly don't worry about it like you're, you're, you're gonna eat it's going to catch up. There was a, there was a great thing around kids. Uh, in fact, our pediatrician, uh, pediatrician, uh, pediatrician, goodness me, when uh, when our son Baxter was born and he went through a period that he wasn't eating that much. He was, must have been very, very young, two years old. She said, over the course of five days, they have no emotional attachment to eating. They will catch up and uh, it will catch up. It was quite an interesting, and it shifted our perspective of You've got to finish. He's got to eat if he doesn't want to eat too much. I say, I say that to people all the time. Like, it's sleep is like eating. I mean, if your kid you know, can't sleep or whatever that means, you know, it's the same as your kid not eating. We'll put him in a room full of Brussels sprouts and he'll eat eventually. I mean, there's been awesome studies about kids and, and eating. So sleeping, eating, breathing air, drinking water, I, I wouldn't put a lot of stress. I mean, it's fine to talk about with children, the importance of those things and how we don't want to sacrifice them and how good nutrition and good hydration and good exercise and good sleep are important. But the idea that we have that much dominion over it, or we can make choices in our life where I made these choices and suddenly I couldn't sleep, that doesn't exist in nature. So sleep's going to be there for you. And if you don't believe me, that for every person who can sleep is a person who falls asleep behind the wheel of their car. That's how powerful the drive to sleep is when you want it to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super. All right. I'm going to ask you two or, two or three more. We'll go a bit more quick hit on these. And um, Kevin asked about the timing of meals. In other words, eating and drinking before bed and how that affects your sleep. And that, there's a follow on question to this from John as well, which was how long before bedtime should you stop taking water or fluids to reduce the need to pee overnight? That's a very common one as well. Yeah. So, timing of me eating and then hydration before bed. I mean, most people say stop eating about two hours before you go to bed, but I don't think anybody should ever go to bed hungry. So if somebody says I'm hungry, then eat something. This is to eat smart foods, nuts, cereals, dairy, hummus and some chips, some dried salmon jerky, tart cherries, something that's going to be sleep positive. You know, throw a little chamomile or passion flower tea in there. That's all great. Hydration to me is interesting. I, I'm not a believer in that. In fact, I wrote a whole chapter on enuresis and kids, and it talks a lot about fluid restriction. I mean, some of the most elite athletes I work with in the NBA or professional soccer wake up two to three times a night to go to the bathroom that doesn't necessarily mean you had a bad night of sleep. If a player gets up, doesn't turn on a bunch of lights, relieves himself, gets back into bed and falls right back to sleep. 
we wake up during the night 30, 40 times during the night. So the idea that I'm going to cut my fluid off just so I don't have to wake up to go to the bathroom or go to the bathroom and just go back to bed. Like it's those two things are not mutually exclusive, good sleep and waking a couple times to go to the bathroom. So I would much rather have somebody aggressively hydrate and maybe wake up a couple times versus cutting their fluid off at five o'clock because they're terrified that they might have to wake up and go to the bathroom. Again, there's that fear thing there. I don't normally wake up to go to the bathroom, but I have before and I don't care. I was get up and go to the bathroom. I don't have to turn a light on and go right back to sleep. And I feel great the next day. And it's interesting because that's that value judgment about sleep. Oh, I woke up twice last night to go to the bathroom. I'm screwed today. <laughs> you'll probably have a difficult workout because you believe that, you know, you believe that that two night, two, two episodes going to the bathroom just screwed everything up. And it's amazing how much the belief of our sleep impacts the way we perform the day versus our actual sleep. Um, so it's, I, I find that to be endlessly fascinating. Okay. Last two questions. I, I'm going to, um, I'm going to bundle up a couple of questions because I think these are really, really interesting. And then we'll, um, we'll give each other a high five and say good night. So the, the first one's from Beth and this, the answer to this might be, Hey, look, I need to have further conversation, but on global points, her question, I'm going to read two questions here. What tactic tactics can women in perimenopause menopause use or take to quiet their minds in order to get quality sleep? And she mentioned she's used blackout shades, no electronics before bed, et cetera, et cetera. Should I be using a supplement? And then Jody has a similar question where she talks about high cortisol conditions. So rather than perimenopause and maybe they, they need to be separated, what advice to manage a condition of high work life stress and a really racing mind through the night? How do I avoid waking up? That's that sort of racing mind thing again that, I mean, who doesn't have a racing mind? And what that basically means is that it's this anxiety. It's another word for anxiety and, and, and fear and anxiety is the killer of sleep. So I would say, let it race. Think about all kinds of things you want to be awake, get in bed and think about all kinds of stuff and embrace it. Because what starts to happen is, oh no, I'm thinking about when the last time I changed the oil in my car is. Why am I thinking about when the last time I changed? Oh, great. Now I'm thinking about oil changes in my car and I really need to sleep because I got a big workout tomorrow and a lot going on. And this is just great. And look at my husband. He's sound asleep every time. Like, so now you've worked yourself up. Why? Because you got in bed and thought about an oil change. Like racing mind to me doesn't exist. Everybody's minds race. I mean, whose mind isn't racing? You know, what happened today? I just thought about corn all day long, said nobody ever. We're all dealing with our jobs and our bosses and our families and our you know, political beliefs of our cousins and whatever we got going on. So to me, it's about learning to kind of harness and control that and embracing that kind of thing. Again, I want you to run towards it, not running away from it. So tonight you're going to get in bed, you're going to fall asleep or your mind is going to race, then let it race. If you want to get up and race in the living room, you can do that too. You know, there's devices like meditation apps. Like I said, that Muse app's a lot of fun. It, it kind of gives you actually a biofeedback of what your mind is doing. So you can actually train yourself to do it. So don't, people talk about this racing mind as being a trait. Oh, my mother had a racing mind too, and she could never sleep. No, that's not true. There's nothing true about that statement you just said. You can train yourself to be relaxed when you go to bed. And that's, 
really when you start getting into insomnia theory, what it really is, it's you're creating a state of hypervigilance as you move to sleep rather than the, the quote unquote normal sleeper whose vigilance level and anxiety is diminishing as they go to sleep. And so these things are trained. I, I would not recommend supplements or drugs or things like that. That's that's not fair. You know, it's, that's that's steroids and, and performance enhancing drugs when you're trying to run and swim faster. Let's let's do it the right way. Let's create a confident, bulletproof sleep where I love trying to sleep. I just slept on the side of a mountain with a professional mountain climber and went on the road with a band and slept in a fire station where their alarm was literally going off every 20 minutes. And I love the challenge. Like, oh my God, this is gonna be a terrible situation to sleep in. I'm curious to see if I can do it. Like I love, I run towards it. Let's go 300 feet up this mountain and sleep on a tiny little cot hanging on by this tiny little strap or whatever. Let's see what happens versus, so you can do it. It's just a skill you have to develop just like a muscle. All right, last question. And uh, I might be getting thrown under the bus here. It's a question from Annie. She actually mentions me in the question. She said, I, I've listened to you, Matt, multiple times. Uh, in, Bark on, as she says, which is uh, very complimentary, I have to say. Bark on about your love of naps, or at least, as you say, short periods of downtime in the middle of the day to restore for productivity in the afternoon. I'm very interested whether Chris would agree that naps for very busy professionals can be a good thing and whether they are going to disrupt and destroy my nighttime sleep. I think they're wonderful. Uh, you know, if, if that's something that you have the capacity or the interest in doing, and I, I would probably change the word nap to period of rest. Maybe you said that verse meaning, and I tell all my athletes, Hey, well, thank you for having me at your, to your training camp. I'm not going to tell you not to drink and chase people around in bars at night, but I am going to tell you that today, if you could carve out 15 minutes to find a quiet place in this training center, stretch your legs out and close your eyes and you did it every day until the end of the season, your team would be a different team than if you decided not to do it. If you fall asleep, that's fine. Uh, but if you don't, don't judge success or failure in bed by unconsciousness. That's a big, 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 big mistake. Mm -hmm. So I think you eat your lunch. You've got 15 minutes before the second half of your day starts. Yeah. Tell your office manager, Hey, just hold my calls for 15 minutes turn the lights out in your office, put your feet up, close your eyes. Even if you're in a car or something, you know, not driving, of course, but yeah. just that quiet time every day, I don't think is going to be disruptive at all to your sleep at night, especially if you're doing it at the same time every day and you're not letting a little 15 minute period turn into a three hour nap extravaganza at 5 PM in the evening. So I, I you know, again, I, cultures that do this, you know, I think Americans, like, we went to Spain and they shut everything at, such and such and all the shops closed and we couldn't find anywhere to eat. And then they were up all night and the dinner reservation, like we always look at that as being kind of cute and strange. It might be the accurate and the healthy way to go about things where you work hard, you have a little siesta in the middle of the day. There's a lot of scientists who think we're sort of designed to do that mm -hmm. and then hit it hard the second half of the day. You know, as an employer, if one of my employees said, you know, I'd really like to take a 30 minute nap during the day, I will work an additional 30 minutes at the end of the day. I'm not trying to get out of work. I just want to take, go for it. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now, your productivity in the second half of the day is going to be a whole lot better. 
Uh, and, and if you're asking me, do I ever nap during the day? Absolutely. So make it closer to the beginning of your day than the end of the day. Have a, have a little designated rest time. If you can't make it, that's okay. But you make, you know, one o'clock every day is your rest time, one to one fifteen, and make it a little appointment. You know, again, it's another little cue to your brain when sleep's going to happen. It's a great. I think it's a great thing comes back to schedule. Chris, I want to thank you so, so much. You spent so much time. Really appreciate it. A lot of fun. And uh, we will have you on again soon, I hope. But have take care and stay safe, mate. Sounds good, Matt. You take care. Cheers, mate. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if we share with your friends and really go the extra mile. Head over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to follow, rate, and review the show. Your support and reviews go a long way to increasing our visibility and, of course, the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive, just like me and you. Don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Links to the episode resources and all of our programs can be found at purplepatchfitness.com. Thanks much for listening. Take care.